the road to Acapulco is very hard indeed And it isn't any better if you haven't any weed Henry's driving hard straight on Tizzy Mountain Road Fifty people waiting back and all right, welcome to the Nice Guys Delivery Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Bleatstein, and we are taking things across the country today for an East Coast cannabis vibe with one of the industry's biggest and longtime enthusiasts, Mr. Steve Bloom. Howdy, Steve. I'm good. How are you? I'm not usually called an enthusiast. I like that. <laughs> well, you've been as ever, ever since I've known you, which has been quite a while. Um, let me tell folks that Steve's publishes and edits CelebStoner.com, one of the leading sources for marijuana and celebrity news on the web. And Steve has a long and storied history with all things weed as well. He's co-author of Reefer Movie Madness, the ultimate stoner film guide, which came out in 2010, and Pot Culture, the A to Z guide to the stoner language and life, which came out in 2008. A former editor of High Times, he's produced the Stony and Doobie Award shows, which I had the pleasure of working with him on in 2002, and the Hempelation Benefit Albums for Normal during his more than 15 years with the magazine. Steve's also a recipient of Normal's Media and Culture Award in 2004, and he's appeared as a moderator, panelist, and speaker at many marijuana reform events, including the Normal Conference, the Drug Policy Alliance Conference, Seattle Hempfest, and probably countless others as cannabis continues to grow and get legalized across the country. So welcome, Steve. What a great time to catch up with you as New York State, your home state and your home now, um, has just gone legal and uh, aside from elated, do you feel a sense of like vindication after all these years? Absolutely. You know, for sure. I mean, I was arrested in New York in 2012, so I took it personally. I've been arrested three times for marijuana, twice in New Jersey and once in New York. So now both the states that put me in jail uh, wouldn't, you know, they can't do it anymore. So I really, uh, that's really important to me. And uh, building an economy around cannabis will be cool, too. And how about getting those expunged from your record as well? That too. You have to look into that. Uh, my arrest in New York, there was one other charge on me because they found, I don't know, they found a search and they found some pills. They weren't even anything, but they could, thought I had some sort of pharma pills. And I don't know, they put another charge on me. So I'm not sure whether I can get expunged as easily as others, but we'll see. It's interesting that you uh, bring that up. I had gotten in an altercation during a visit in New York back in the 90s and just could not believe that it was even happening due to growing up in New York in the 70s. It always was the sense of you could just smoke a joint on the street regardless. Um, did, does the uptick in New York Potteress, uh, you know, that were happening and that harassment at all surprise you over the 20 years after, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s and seeing how the numbers, you know, I think there were, I got some facts here. It was 1,038 arrests in 1990 in New York City, and it peaked at 51,589 in 2011 before declining to 18,000 some odd in 2017. Did that surprise you, like how New York took that turn for all those years? I agree with you that, you know, in the 70s, you know, New York decriminalized marijuana in 1977. And, you know, growing up in New York, it was pretty hard to get arrested for pot. It was pretty lenient, I thought. Uh, and uh, then things changed. You know, when Giuliani became mayor and he was followed by Bloomberg, we had 20 years of Republican mayors who were very strict about crime and uh, they saw marijuana as a crime. And it was also an easy target, you know, to go after 
marijuana smokers, especially those smoking in the street, and the arrest totals went sky high. Um, it was shocking to think that New York would be the city that would be called the marijuana arrest capital of the world, you know, considering that, you know, a few years earlier, it was very hard to get arrested. So things changed dramatically. But that just told you the politics of the day and uh, Giuliani finding the loophole in the law that allowed for all these arrests to happen, plus the stop and frisks that were happening that was, you know, result resulted in, you know, probably 80 to 90 percent of those arrests. So that overall, all those policies, you know, caused this. And, you know, thank goodness, you know, after 20 years, it ended. Uh, stop and frisk was ruled unconstitutional. We have a Democratic governor now, a mayor for the last two um, terms. Uh, he came in, you know, to change among the things he wanted to do was to change the marijuana laws and, and they have changed. So, you know, we just went through a lot. And uh, and now, yeah, there is vindication having gone through all of that and so many people having been arrested and so many people's lives having been disrupted or worse, you know, that now finally, you know, after all of that, you know, we finally have ended prohibition in New York. So it's a, it's a big sigh, really. Now that you've seen other states, um, I'm sure you've been around and visited other states where it's legal, where cannabis is legal now. How do you think New York should proceed and what models do you like? Well, it looks like the New York model might be the best one. You know, New York has looked around the country and New York has seen some of the problems that California has had uh, dealing with its black market and with super high taxes and, uh, you know, very, you know, difficult uh, application process. Um, so I think New York wants to, you know, to make it simple and also open the door to uh, smaller companies, micro companies that can come in and get licenses and not get frozen out by the bigger companies that are coming in and eating up a lot of the licenses around the country. I think New York's very well aware of that. By New York not allowing for vertical integration, uh, they open up the door for a lot of different licensees. You know, if one company, like right now, the medical companies in New York, the 10 of them are vertical, so they control everything uh, in cultivation, processing, sales. Uh, and so now there'll be licenses individually for all of that, which is, I think, the case in California. Um, but so the door is going to swing wide open for that. But some of the things that are um, that are particularly liberal is, uh, for instance, uh, smoking in the street, uh, which was a bit of a surprise that that passed where you can basically smoke anywhere as long as you're not in front of a school or, you know, a church or something like that. And that's pretty liberal. Most cities don't allow that. Matter of fact, recently I did an article that said Madison, Wisconsin was the only city in the country that allowed smoking in the streets. Now New York is allowing smoking in the street. It's become a big deal. I'm not saying everybody's doing it automatically, but that's what people have been doing anyway. Now you can do it and not get busted. That's pretty major. The home grow provision uh, is not that different from other states, but it was a big breakthrough in New York because about a month ago, home grow was not on the docket. It was not part of the plan. Uh, Governor Cuomo was opposed to it, as he was against a lot of other more progressive approaches. And, you know, with Cuomo having his scandal, um, he caved on a lot of these issues that he was against. So therefore, New York has a much more progressive law, partially due to the fact that Cuomo is in trouble. Uh, and the women have come forward, you know, have kind of made him accept some things that he was unwilling to accept in the past. Uh, so we have a much more progressive law than I think we ever anticipated. And how do you feel about um, your Senator Chuck Schumer, who seems to be taking the lead right now and trying to get the federal legalization thing happening, maybe, you know, without Joe Biden's support? What are your thoughts on that? I'm super gung-ho behind that. Uh, you know, to have the... 
you know, majority leader on our side in the Senate means a lot, but that doesn't mean that you're going to swing the Republican votes, you know, and uh, or Joe Manchin or the Dems who, you know, lean to the right. Marijuana has turned into a completely bipartisan issue. Absolutely. Republicans vote against it. Democrats vote for it with very few exceptions. So in the Senate, that's what you're going to see. And I don't see a legalization bill passing in this Congress and Biden signing it. I mean, if it gets through, Biden would sign it. But I just don't see that happening the next two years. Yeah, I I tend to agree. But you would think the financial aspect and the benefit to so many states would sway some of these Republicans. Well, there is the Safe Banking Act, and that's kind of a safe, you know, bill in a sense to support. It doesn't legalize marijuana, but it would open the door to using banking services. So many companies, especially retail companies, retail stores, dispensaries don't, you know, really have bank accounts. And a lot of them are just dealing with a lot of cash and you know, they have to get armored cars and take their money to the, you know, you know, to wherever. Uh, so that's really needs to stop. And the 280E problems in terms of deductions, all those things, you know, need, the industry needs some help. Uh, and there's a possibility that the Republicans might support that, but that's st- stopping short of legalization. So with all your years and involvement in so many different areas and avenues of the cannabis world, and now that it's a f- full-fledged industry growing across the country um, and your work that you've done with normal over the years. First of all, back then, 10, 20 years ago, did you even envision that things could be where they are now? And is normal's like ultimate goal to no longer exist? Well, in normal's case, I I can't totally speak for them, but um, they're more of a consumer lobby, you know, at this point, you know, with legalization happening, you you know, you keep pushing to change the laws in states where it's still prohibited. So you still have that purpose. And in the states where it's legal, you focus more on, you know, regulations and making sure uh, there's equity and opportunities and, you know, altering the laws where need be and, uh, you know, making improvements uh, and making sure that, you know, consumers get what they want and, uh, and they're not held back by some kinds of regulations. You know, there's all kinds of issues like in New York, the law is going to allow for cities or towns to opt out, which is a big issue in California. You know, when you opt out, you really take a lot of money out of the system that is being promised if towns decide they don't want it. And ultimately, towns usually end up wanting it. But at first, they take a stand against it because, you know, that's the politics of that area. So those types of things are really problematic, you know. Um, But, you know, but yeah, I mean, things really um, are, you know, Certainly, you know, moving in the right direction uh, overall on the state level. So that's the focus for normal and the marijuana policy project, which I work closely with as well, and the Drug Policy Alliance. That's what needs to be their main focus. They're going to work on everything, you know, federal, state. But I think most people understand that state is the way to still go right now is to knock on the state door. So normal still has quite a purpose. Have you had the chance prior to COVID to visit most of the states that have gone legal? I have to be honest. I haven't been to California since it legalized. So that might be shocking to you, but I haven't had the reason to be there. And obviously um, during COVID time, I haven't traveled in the last year. I was in Massachusetts when Massachusetts legalized it. I went up to take a little ride from New York and I really enjoyed that. I thought the flower was really great, but it was really early um, in their development. It was just, they just were opening up the doors. 
Um, I haven't really done that trip again. I could have, but I haven't. I guess I get enough here and uh, even with the black market in New York or the legacy market, as we call it now. So it hasn't been really that problematic. But I mean, I love it when I travel to the legal states and bring home some goodies. What I usually bring home is concentrates because that's really hard to get here. Um, We don't really have access to that very much. You know, the underground in New York is pretty much flour and maybe vapes and uh, but not a lot of conscience trade. So it's kind of hard to get hands on that. I kind of miss that. I have a nice puff go and I'm waiting for some new concentrate so I could use it. <laughs> so California's created this bureaucracy to oversee the entire legalization thing and how things flow and perhaps don't flow. And, you know, most people's complaints, of course, are about the amount of taxes that are on it. So is New York taking steps to avoid its own bureaucracy nightmare? And, or do you think taxes are going to impugn upon people? No, not really. I mean, 13%, you know, compared to whatever you have out there, you know, the numbers in some of the original legal states are pretty high. I know Massachusetts is about 20%. So New York is being smart, bring down the taxes and compete with the black market. If you want to knock out the black market, you have to compete. If you're going to keep prices up around, you know, three, $400 an ounce, eighths, people are going to go to their buddy and buy it without a tax. And, you know, the only difference when you go to your friend is they don't have a great selection, most likely. I mean, some people do, but by and large, you know, they might have two strains and you pick from that or you're not going to get, you're not walking into the store and looking at a hundred selections. So ultimately, I think people will learn that that's really the way to go. You know, don't go to your friend, you know, your friend will go out of business ultimately and do something else and, and you'll go to the store, you know, and you'll pick, you know, of, you know, multiple choices. Now that we have crossed the threshold in New York and we have a couple of years to go, um, we're still going to be dealing with black market, legacy market, and that will continue. But I think, you know, New York might have taken a better approach to it just by, by just bringing down the tax rate. I think that's the key to, you know, to, and I'm not saying I'm opposed to the black market, let people sell their weed illegally if they want to. But ultimately the goal is, you know, is to just bring it all above ground and let there be stores and let people participate in the legal industry and get out of the illegal industry. Let's talk about Celeb Stoner and your inspiration behind starting it. And I think it's done an amazing job of, you know, helping remove the stigma that marijuana's had. For so long? Well, when I was at High Times Magazine, where I worked from 1988 to 2007, uh, I started as news editor. Uh, that was just the job I was given. It was a good learning job for me to understand what was going on in the, in the marijuana world. Uh, and But I, my background really was music journalism and I'd like to say entertainment writing. So I, I gradually shifted at High Times into a, a music editor, entertainment editor position. So I um, so in doing that over the years, you know, it was a good time in the 90s. It was a sort of new generation of bands uh, that were all coming up, you know, the Pearl Jams and the De La Souls, you know, the Cypress Hills and the Black Crows, you know, all these cool bands, uh, great movement of music, of all styles of music in the 90s. And I happened to be the music editor at that time. And uh, all these bands were into weed, it seemed like. And uh, the doors, you know, just got knocked on a lot at high times. Once we featured Cypress Hill on the cover and Black Crows on the cover, it was sort of, it, it just opened up to so many publicists and artists wanting to be in high times. So, so I got to spend a lot of time with bands interviewing backstage, uh, photo shoots and all kinds of fun stuff like that. 
And that expanded into other celebrity coverage uh, movies, which was an interest of mine in the 90s, movies like Dazed and Confused and Friday and Harold and Kumar and all those fun movies, uh, you know, developed a new style of stoner movies. And so we started to write about that a lot and cover that. So between music and movies and television, there was a lot to focus on. People like Bill Maher and Woody Harrelson, they became, you know, the favorites up at high times. And I developed some relationships, Willie Nelson, Tommy Chong, people like that. I got to know a few of these people over the years. And and uh, when I left High Times, I thought it would be a fun idea to put together a website that was devoted to the celebrities who advocated. And I came up with the idea of Celeb Stoner. And Celeb Stoner focuses on the celebrities, you know, about 50 or 60 celebrities who are kind of our key members of the website. But it's beyond that. You know, it's a, it's a marijuana news site, a cultural site, you know, movie reviews, TV reviews, album articles, hot songs, definitely focusing on, you know, all of the statewide changes that are happening. Don't get into every little detail, but focus a little bit more on the bigger picture uh, yesterday, there was some passage of a, you know, in, in movement in Connecticut, and it looks like Connecticut will follow New York and New Jersey. So we follow these things. New Mexico just passed legalization. So, you know, stay on all that news so people are aware of that, but also give them, you know, a little more entertainment as well. I kind of like to mix in entertainment while I tell my story, and it kind of makes it just a little more interesting and fun for the readers. Also, as there's talk of, I want to run this by you, as there's talk of like Mexico going fully legal, do you think we could get an old strain like the old Acapulco gold we used to actually see and get way back in the 70s back into action? Well, they'd have to tap into some, you know, early, you know, breeders and stuff like that, you know, in Mexico and find the people who have the seeds and You'd have to do some digging. I, I see Steve D'Angelo from Har- Harborside Health Center is down in Mexico. He's probably doing some digging. I saw a photo of him in Oaxaca today with some buds. So he's digging around. There's stuff there for sure. Um, but, you know, Mexico, unfortunately, has a reputation of poor marijuana. Uh, we call it swag, low grade. Uh, the stuff that's come into the Southwest over the years, very brown, packed. Uh, STEMI seeds. And so it has a kind of a bad reputation. Uh, And so Mexico has a lot of work to do to improve the quality of its cannabis to cater to the American crowd. And, you know, I'm reading stories that, you know, Mexico, there is, you know, cannabis community in Mexico, but it's not as widespread as you think. Like everybody doesn't smoke pot in Mexico just because you think they do. You know, so the question, it's kind of like in Amsterdam, they they figure everybody gets stoned there. And a lot of people don't, you know, it's just certain people who do. Jamaica, you know, the Rastas are considered separate from everybody else. A lot of people in Jamaica look down on cannabis. They look at it as what the Rastas do, like the hippies, you know, what the hippies do. You know, so it's it's got a sort of negativity built into it. So in Mexico, I think there's that too. Mexico has a lot of negativity directed towards marijuana. They have to do a lot of work to get things going in Mexico to to have a really active, successful uh, industry. It's interesting because it does have that reputation of sort of the swaggy kind of seedy, stemmy weed. But we had Steve Parrish on the show um, a little while back, and Steve was telling us about back in the day how much incredible Mexican weed that they were getting and how much they loved it and how it was. And he's naming off strains left and right that I had never heard of. So maybe there maybe there is hope there. Are there other old strains that you can think of that you would want to see return? 
Well, I mean, there's the Colombian gold, you know, or uh, the Santa Marta gold that they were talking about in the growing Belushi show when they went down there with Steve D'Angelo and Jim Belushi went down to uh, Colombia to kind of track down, you know, the original Santa Marta gold. And, you know, uh, obviously, and they'll tap right into something we're very familiar with, Panama Red, uh, you know, those types of strains. Uh, you know, what I'd love to see is tie stick, you know, or as Cheech and Chong joke, tied stick, you know, because it was tied up. But because um, that's so rare. And I tell people about that. Then they go, what is that? You know, they don't get it. You know, uh, marijuana from Thailand that was tied up into little sort of looked like little sticks. It was sort of put into a stick. I don't know, like a not really a lollipop, but but had a different look. Um, you know, yes, the Acapulco Gold and all the all the uh, the Mexican strains. I'm sure you know they will find them. You know, there will be people down there that will find the originals and they'll take advantage of it. You know, it's been very hard to deal with Mexico for the last 25, 30 years. The cartels took over the country, especially the drug trade, and you just don't go traveling around Mexico looking around for weed and say, "Hey, can I find you know the Acapulco Gold?" They'll shoot you. You know, I'm, I hate to say it, but they will. It's very dangerous in Mexico in certain parts of the country. And, and so the only hope for Mexico is that they can bring the cartel into the industry, into the legal industry, because if they don't, they, they, the legal industry will go nowhere. They have to bring the cartels in and give them an opportunity to run legal business, kind of like here. But the thing is here, yes, people do kill each other over drugs, but not usually marijuana. But, you know, but they but bring the people from the, you know, from the illegal industries into the legal industry and give them an opportunity. You know, and that's what they have to do in Mexico. If they can't figure that out. And I've talked to Vicente Fox, the former president, and he makes a big point out of that is we have to bring the cartels in. So I'm not sure how they're planning on it, but they better do it. All right, let's bring it back to New York. Do you have dreams of a celeb stoner dispensary? That'd be nice, but you know, I'm, I'm not really a business guy like that. You know, I'm just sort of, you know, if somebody have to come to me and say, hey, Steve Bloom, I think Celeb Stoner would make a great dispensary. We'd like to license your name. Okay, so would that dispensary be East Village or West Village? <laughs> well, I live in the Bronx. So I might want to move it up to my home neighborhood. <laughs> With the hopes of things slowly opening up, uh, are you involved with any New York cannabis events in the near future? There's an event in New York, the Cannabis Parade event that's been here for a lot of years. And I've been on the board for the last few years and I've helped run the event. And last year we were canceled. And this year we are going to have a 200 person event in Union Square. Uh, the, the police and the parks department are allowing us to do a small event, you know, so we're going to just going to get out there and bark a little bit about legalization, maybe have a few mayoral candidates talk about stuff and just get a little media and get in the press. But even that, you know, I'm just organizing that. Uh, but I have to coordinate with the police and the parks department and make sure that's good. I feel fairly safe with that one because I know what I'm getting into. So it's our it's our yearly event. Uh, and I came in a couple of years ago and, you know, sort of helped to help run the event. They've been helping over the years, but they kind of brought me in as a board member. The event needed a lot of work to kind of improve. And I sort of brought in some improvements. Last year we got canceled. And then this year we have like, a, you know, more of a minimal event, but it's interesting to work with the city and see what they allow you to do. You know, so I was kind of curious, even though last year I was very quick that we would cancel this year, it's kind of, let's keep the window open because the city's opening up a little bit. What will they let us do? Let's work with them. So initially it was 50 people and now it's 200. And I met with the police and the parks department in Union Square and said, you can do this here and this then, this is the way you can do it. And so, you know, I'm, I want to do that and see how that works. So basically I'm putting myself out this month to do a few things to see how that works and get myself back out in circulation a little bit. And then I'll see how I feel about it all. 
And is that event a carry on of the old yippie marijuana marches I used to go to in the 70s? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's moved around a lot. It's been in Union Square for about the last 10 years. It's uh, just right at the top of Union Square at 14th Street at the bottom of Union Square. It's opposite the Whole Foods now. If you remember the old days, like a maze or whatever, the department store was there. Um, it's opposite that. And we have a nice big stage, but we can't have a stage this year. We can only have limited sound. We can have like a simple riser. You know, so we have to just scale it all down. I mean, the police, the police were worried. Let's say we get Andrew Yang, which is kind of like my get I want to have for this year. Um, then they're worried that we'll have too big of a crowd. But I guess we'll deal with it then and they'll figure out how to handle a crowd. But right now, you know, we'll kind of space people out and just do a small thing. Steve, let's talk for a moment about the event we worked on together way back when, when High Times bestowed a Lifetime Achievement Award on the new riders of the Purple Sage at uh, your Doobie Awards. It's really one of my uh, high points at High Times. Uh, the Doobie Awards and the Stony Awards were two award shows that I was producing for High Times. I created the Stonies, which was a movie awards and television awards. And it just was something I thought would be a fun thing and obviously a takeoff on the Tonys. Uh, and then when we did one round of Stonies, the company decided, let's do a music show, too. And they said, hey, we're going to call it the Doobies, and we want you to run that, too. So I didn't create the Doobies. I was assigned to do the Doobies. And the Doobies was essentially the same thing, a, a music award show, but focusing on, you know, stoner kind of bands or, kind of, you know, a little bit off the mainstream and uh, yeah, high times favorites. And so um, each year we wanted to do some sort of tribute. And I'm not really sure why I came up with the new writers. It might have been Steve Hager, uh, who was a big new writers fan. He might have put the bug in my ear about that um, to try and pull that together. And it really came together because of you, because you had all the hookups. And, uh, and I'm not sure, but I think it's probably the last time all of the guys got together. In terms of the originals, yeah. John Marmaduke had retired and would live in Mexico. We got him back, and his health was definitely starting to fail. And fortunately, we were able to make things happen that night. And, the, and then Peter Rowan showed up, writer of Panama Red himself. So that was a huge treat. That was last-minute cherry on the top because uh, we had it all in the works. And then I think you called me and told me that Peter wanted to come and could we kind of get him a hotel room or something like that, you know, work it out. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Spencer Dryden was there. So it was sort of like everybody who could be there was there. Marmaduke, I guess, was the highlight because, you know, we got him out of Mexico, again, thanks to you. And we picked him up in a limousine, got him stoned. He was there with his wife. And then the first night we went to the Electric Lady studio. And they did a rehearsal, which was a blast. And then the next night we did the show. So it was just a lot of fun, you know, just be able to get all, all those guys together in one place for sort of a last time. I'm very proud to have uh, produced that with you, Rob. Steve Bloom, thanks so much for joining us today. Check out Steve's site at celebstoner.com, as well as cannabisparade.org and drugpolicy.org. This is the Nice Guys Delivery Podcast. Check us out at niceguysdelivery.com. Here for all your cannabis delivery needs in Marin County and more. Thanks for being with us today, and we'll see you soon. Sometimes we can see his fire from here